It's life on life's terms. All right, here we are once again, the Life on Life's Terms podcast, and uh, we are not affiliated with any 12-step program, and I'm Tom Robinson. I'm Chris Mandeville. We're here at a New Way Recovery Center in Quincy, Mass. on Quincy Ave., and our guest tonight is Megan. Take it away. Oh, um, yeah, my name is Megan. Um, I don't know where I want to start. Uh, the beginning is usually good. The beginning. Okay, that's a yeah. good idea. <laughs> a lot of people, that, yeah, they'll tell their story or qualify, and then it'll okay. go off into, yeah. you know. into Yes, outer space. Outer space. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, like many other people, I grew up on the South Shore, and I had a pretty normal family, and I did all the stuff, like um, ballet and soccer and flute and all that wicked good stuff. Wow, that um, sounds... Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of good stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and I always had to get good grades because that was really important in my family. But, mm. um, you know, junior high, I started to feel weird. Didn't want to go to school, couldn't sleep, that kind of thing. And, you know, I know today that's depression and anxiety, but I didn't know that back then. Did so that's, have... we, we think, that? 13? <laughs> we think it's, we think it's puberty as well. <laughs> yeah. 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 That everyone's going through and yeah. they get to that awkward stage and they're like, ah. I don't know what's going on. It's a magical know? time. Yes, it for is. For us all. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I broke my arm. One thing that I realize now, I think, was a contributing factor is I broke my right arm when I was 11. And then a, a year and a half later, I broke my left arm. Wow. And both times I had Percocet at, prescribed to me afterwards. Um, Imagine that, totally, 11 years old. Yeah. Wow. 11. Yeah. Crazy. And it's only really now that we're like really looking at prescription painkillers as part of why we're in the epidemic that we're in that I'm like reflecting back and thinking that could have been a contributing factor. Right. Definitely Absolutely. have addiction and mental illness in my family. Um, you know, I think I was born to be an addict anyways, and that just kind of kickstarted things. And Do they classify addiction as a mental illness? I don't know what they're classifying it as. It's considered, it, I mean, it falls under the umbrella of behavioral health, which right. is mental illness and um, addiction. And it's, you know, under the American Dis with Disabilities Act. Yeah. And it's now such. it's what? So, substance abuse disorder? Substance use disorder. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it is considered a, a, a mental illness. Hmm. Um, yeah. Because a lot of people don't, don't know about the ADA that, you know, mm -hmm. Americans with Disabilities Act and that they can get benefits because they're an addict. I, and I know a lot of people that take advantage of it as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They, they don't. I mean, if you're ref in terms of Social Security disability, they, they will not uh, grant benefits on the basis of substance use disorder. They right. will with mental illness. Um, but the Americans with Disability Act protects us like in the workplace like you can't yes, be fired right. for having substance use disorder you can't be discriminated against because of substance use disorder uh though that absolutely happens oh yeah Anyways, I, i've practice, seen it so. well if, if you're running a business and somebody keeps coming on uh, to work on heroin you might want to you know tell them if they don't stop they gotta go <laughs> yeah yeah, right? yeah. But, but that's I mean, based on sense. work performance 
so oh, much yeah. you could fire somebody because they're not they capable of doing the job. Do their job. Yeah, yeah right? okay. Well, that but makes sense. But you couldn't fire, you know, if you had, say, you have a, a construction crew or something, you've got a guy on the crew who does his job just fine, but you find out from someone's cousin's neighbor that, you know, he's always over at the crack house. Yeah, right. You mm. can't fire him based on that. Wow. Right? That's amazing. Yeah. It's wild. People do it all the time. All right. right. Crack. Yeah, because they, they, <laughs> they circumvent that. They yeah. find a way around it and well, they'll say, oh, you're always late. or Oh, oh absolutely. You know. There's plenty of ways around everything, right? I, I Honestly, people are so disempowered. You know, we've been taught that having substance use disorder is something to be ashamed of. And it's, um, you know, we're bad people and all of that. So I know for myself, I didn't have the ability to stick up for myself in a situation like that. Right. You know, so many people don't know that they have rights or they just don't feel like they have the the personal agency or the power to do something about it. And a lot of people just right. are ashamed and they're like screw it I'm out of here. Exactly. You know, oh, yeah. I'll go find another job. No, yeah. I mean, I I would sort myself out. Yeah. For sure, you know. I I lost all my own jobs. You know? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. I, I lost a job. Uh I lost a job once because um at that point in time it was uh, cocaine and and crack were my substances of choice and i would um fall asleep at work all the time and uh and i was talking to my manager one day i was standing up having a conversation with her and i was looking at her and talking and i fell asleep and she was like awesome we're done here yeah (laughs) (laughs) do you have narcolepsy it was you know it was time to go yeah and so like i don't blame anybody else for any of my job losses, I was a hot mess at the end of every. Yeah, job I, I mean, I had a I had a federal job at sixteen years old. I'd be retired already. No. I worked for the VA wow. hospital at sixteen, working in the kitchen. I think I would have had to do twenty years, maybe. Wow, I'd be working on a second career, but mm-hmm. nope, going and getting some <laughs> weed was more important. Yeah. You know what a tangent, though. All right, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's fine. It's all under the same heading. Um. So, you know, got introduced to alcohol, pot. So by the time I was a junior in high school, I had completely changed my friends so that I surrounded myself with other people who did what I did yeah. uh, so that it felt normal. Um, right. And I was drinking. The thing was, like, you know, we'd all go out skateboarding or whatever, and then everyone would go home and be fine with leaving behind whatever they were doing you know the the pot or the beer or whatever and i didn't want to stop and i I'd, I'd bring it home and i or you know if nobody was hanging out i'd be sitting at home by myself drinking vodka yeah. been there at a young age yeah so but i still maintain like i still kept my shit together um i graduated high school in 3 years instead of 4 i did my junior and senior year in 1 year not because i was so ambitious and wanted to go to harvard but because i just wanted to get the hell out of my house um and a and I was running from myself, you yeah. know. I just wanted out. I was so unhappy and miserable and and sick, but I didn't know how, you know, what that was. But um, so I went to college when I was seventeen, and it was a really weird wow. little wow. college. I know. That's wild. Yeah, it was a little. It was a bit much. Uh, <laughs> you think? Maybe <laughs> <laughs> wasn't the greatest choices that I made, but um. How were you to know? You were yeah. a superstar. I just wanted to. I just wanted out. I just wanted out, and so I I got out. Um, and you know that saying goes like I ran 
over to this college, and I was there when I got there. You know, I brought me with oh, yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, except there was more substances. So, mm. um, and a whole new crowd of people, and a whole new, and no rules. Yeah, it was college, you know. Um, right. So things got really Paid bad the there. Yeah, um, lots and lots and lots of hallucinogens, lots of of drinking and smoking pot, and just you know, after three semesters, I was um, not actively suicidal, but definitely passively suicidal, and not mm. seeing any reason that I wanted to to live anymore or to care about anything and um you know my parents are very well intended and wanted you know insisted that i continue going to college so i transferred uh to a school in boston and moved into mission hill and yep so now i'm 18 and this is when mission hill Hill was mission hill right this was hardcore mission hill the first nights that i was living there um i was on the third floor of a triple decker we were out on the back porch you know they always have the back porch we were Mm -hmm. part way up the hill overlooking the projects which at that time were bricks still yeah Mm. you know like tenement style buildings and they did this huge like swat team swoop in with helicopters and suvs and the like the riot gear guys just all just rounding this is the first night this was like within the first week of living there yeah awesome (laughs) so wonder what the neighbors are doing (laughs) it was really profoundly sad and disturbing to me um, oh, at the time? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I got the big picture. I had um, mm. studied a lot of uh, about African-American culture and, and history and, and race in this country and uh, and all of that. So I was pretty enlightened for an, for an 18-year-old. Um, so I understood what was happening, you know. Mm. Uh, it was, it's, I learned a lot living in Mission Hill, and uh, I loved my time there. Uh, but it was hard day in and day out to just see what life was like for somebody who didn't grow up the way I grew up, you know, yeah. for somebody who grew up mm. in Mission Hell and how different the experience was for them. You know, I had tons of friends who were like all musicians and artists. They all went to Mass Art and museum and school and um, everybody was in a band and it was all like punk rock happiness and bicycles and whatever. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. What? How old are you? At that time? No, how old oh, are you now? Oh. oh, I'm sorry. Never mind. <laughs> I graduated high school in 1990. So, yeah, I would have graduated in my 89 age. had I graduated. Mm-hmm. Um, so you might know. We probably know a lot of my friends. Anyway, go on. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, things got worse, more drugs, more, you know, access to drugs. And I got another really amazing idea to run away from myself, which was to go do a semester in the Netherlands. Because I was like, this is the perfect place for me. Weed is legal. Pretty much they just don't care what people are doing drug-wise. So I'm like, this is fantastic. This is the best idea ever. The Netherlands. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I I went to California, but (laughs) the Netherlands. Yeah, I never made it to anywhere you had to fly to. Yeah. It was, uh, (laughs) you know, it was what you would expect. Just total debauchery and hedonism and puking in the street at like 10 in the morning um this is like amsterdam yes yeah, so i was yeah, yeah. in maastricht which is down in the south oh, of the netherlands but yes cool. when you think of it as amsterdam lots more craziness Sweet. lots more drinking smoking ecstasy the whole nine yards um somehow i passed my classes i don't even remember what they were 
I, I do remember <laughs> philosophy class was this German teacher, and I couldn't understand anything he said. And it was philosophy anyways. Like, who even understands that? Right. Uh, it was torture. But um, And then I met, my, I met the man who had become my husband there. And he was from England, and we spent another six months after the semester ended just, like, wandering around Europe with uh, – we, we got together $2,800, which was, like, a million dollars in 1994, mm. and bought a mm. whole bunch of ecstasy. And because this was going to like pay our way to travel. Oh, you decided to become ex dealers. I get it. Nice. What a plan. The brilliant ideas that we come up with. (laughs) Master plans. Yes. Master plans. Do you think the two little kids from other countries are going to get like a good deal on the ecstasy? No. Oh, right. Yeah. So they were bad. You know, they were. She bought Tic Tacs. (laughs) All I'm picturing is locked up abroad. I've watched that show so. So many times. Oh, oh man! And it's like here, just take this suitcase. I promise you'll we, get everything right will be security. fine. So <laughs> everything will be fine. Yeah. So many close calls. I remember trying to go into Spain, and it was like a thousand degrees, and I had the ecstasy stored internally, and. <laughs> We were in the yeah. line for customs, and it yeah. was a really long line, and it was just – I was just sweating buckets, and I'm just watching the customs guys as, like, it gets closer and closer to my turn, and um, I made it through, but it was awful. It was awful. You'd think that that would have been enough, but it wasn't. Um, no, you were probably oh, like, yeah. yeah, we made it. Yeah. We can do that again. Doing it. Don't get scared. Yeah. Uh, Can't scare we us. Hitchhiked. Then I lost my URL path. We hitchhiked everywhere. We camped out in the woods. We got kicked off trains and from the middle of nowhere in France in the middle of the night. Like, you know, all the stuff. Wow. Um, and then we had the great idea that he would come. Like, I brought him home with me, like a, like a stray cat or something. Yeah. Like, look what I found in Europe. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> moved him into my apartment in Mission Hill. Uh, great place. Great introduction to America for this oh, yeah. guy from England. <laughs> He's from up England. in the middle of nowhere where there's like more sheep than people. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> Yeah, wow. he, he moves into culture where, where he's overlooking the projects. Yes, and raids and yes. SWAT teams. Yes, yeah, and yeah. lots of heroin. The helicopter so. woke me up again last night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> them bloody whirly birds. <laughs> I haven't heard that in a minute. Uh, so uh, yeah, so my in the while I was in Europe, my roommate moved her boyfriend in, and he was a crack dealer. So convenient. Yeah. yeah. So we wanted to buy some Coke and he's like, here, I'll sell you some Coke. And we're like, can't really snort this. And he's like, you're not supposed to. You're supposed to cook it and smoke it. And we were like, oh, okay, we'll throw it on the bong, you know. Uh, and that changed everything. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. First time I ever tried it, I smoked it as well. Yeah. It was oh, really? On. Yeah. It was just on. It just took over our whole lives. We were calling our dealer Love. That was his name, Love, at like <laughs> three in the morning for like $2. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was yeah. like the whole, oh, yeah. like, just asked out completely yep. on it. And then mm. um, somebody had a good heroin connect. And so we were like, wow, we're, you know, we have to go to work in the morning and we can't fall asleep after the crack. So let's yep. do some heroin Landing after. Gear. Right. And uh, that was the thing that I was looking for. Uh, I was 20, I think, at the time. And it was like that thing that just made everything else not matter yeah. that's oh, yeah. what i was looking for yep. yeah and, me too um, yeah <laughs> it just took over and i lost a lot of stuff really fast i hmm. i graduated from call i turned 22 graduated from college 
got married and went to my first detox all within like a five week span. Um, wow. 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 Yeah. Good times. Um, <laughs> Jeez. Talk about progression. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it, it happened fast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we were supposed to file for residency for the husband um, after we got married, but we. Uh, the money that we got for the wedding, we spent it all on heroin in less than a month, and that was supposed to be the money to file wow. for his residency. Yeah. Um, oh, so he was bummer. an illegal immigrant for forever. Yeah. Uh, fast forward, you know, we hit all the bottoms, um, and then we decided we again. This is just I'm really good at this. We ran away uh, back to England, so oh. we both moved to England, Perfect. and um, yeah. <laughs> It was great. <laughs> so they now, have, so have, now he's legal and you're the immigrant. Were you yeah. were you there yeah. when you got there? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Also, they have heroin in England, just in case you didn't oh, know. Okay. I thought you know maybe they didn't, but they do. Uh, <laughs> but it's terrible. But um, I spent three years in England on the methadone clinic, doing dope the whole time. Um, oh. They, oh. they do their methadone a little awful. different over there, and we'd get this giant bottle of. Um, it was like cough syrup, and then oh, the, people was it red, pink? It was nope. It was green. Oh, you're yeah, green it's a methadone. little different. Yeah, mm. yeah. European. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> special flavor. Yes, that fine European method. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we'd sell the whole two weeks worth, the whole bottle, right out, right outside the door of the farm. You know, all the stuff. Oh, really? All the stuff. Hmm. Um, finally, just it was miserable and horrible there, and I hated it. And uh, yeah, and I and I came home. Um, moved to Maine. Husband came shortly after, uh, and this is where it gets really gnarly. Um, so we were doing dope, couldn't stop, went on methadone up in Portland, Maine, and um, I finally did stop doing heroin, and I promptly got pregnant mm. because all of that time that I've been doing dope, I never got a period. I never, like, could get pregnant. It just wasn't a thing, and then as soon as I stopped doing heroin. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. 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 It, 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 I don't, and I, and I don't think I ever got a cold. Mm. I got dope sick all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Did you ever get a cold? Not really. No, it was no. a cure, dude. I was in, I was injecting so many vitamins. How could I get a cold? <laughs> <laughs> like you could smell it when you went to the bathroom. Uh, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. It was cut with vitamins, you're right? Yeah. Around here, anyway. Yeah. Yuck. Yeah, um, it's, it's it's weird how, because I I understand like. It just like freezes time or something. It's just right. this yeah. weird like preservative thing or something. Freezes your cells. That's what. Yeah. And I was. I went to Seattle when I, um, when I moved back. I went out there for a little while uh, to visit, and I read um, Burroughs, uh, William S. Burroughs, mm-hmm. Junkie, and he talks about the junk, frozen cells thawing out, and and uh, I was like on the plane and whatever. I didn't really have a habit. And as soon as I got there, I was like, oh, I gotta get something now. Yeah, right? <laughs> Excellent reading choice. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> trying to stay sober. Yes. Yeah. Didn't really work out. Well, I wasn't trying yeah. to stay sober. I just was trying to stop dope. Yeah. I still yeah. wanted that to drink with my friend. Yeah. My mm-hmm. problem was heroin, yeah. not the drinking. No. Or you. No. 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 Or me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Can't be me. What do you mean? Me. No. Uh. Sorry. Yeah, so getting pregnant sucked. I was I was um I was really scared and upset and sad and all mm. mixed up. And yeah, cuz there's enough feelings stopping doing what you're doing 
and then throw hormones in there. Yeah, and and oh, I can't imagine. Yeah. I can't take care of myself. Right. Like right. I, I can't even get my hair cut because that requires way too much like advanced planning and organization. Like right. never mind take care of a baby. Yeah. You know, oh, it was word. just really so absurd. Um mm. and I and I couldn't tell you, you know, my like decision making process, but uh but you know, we're we're gonna have this baby and um and so about less than a month after I find out that I'm pregnant, I get a knock on the door, and it's the DEA. And I have a felony indictment for drug trafficking because wow. I had sold two bags of dope to my old heroin dealer who kept calling me like, I'm sick, I'm sick, help me out. So I was like, no, 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 because we're done. We're not using anymore or whatever. And mm. then I finally was just like, fine, I'll get you a couple bags. So, and you got indicted for trafficking? Yeah. For two guys. Yeah. He, he wore a wire. And, um, what in the world? He got, he got pinched and he was mm-hmm. like, oh, I know how to get out well, of Well, they, it turns wow. out they wanted this guy that I knew from the methadone clinic who was like a legit decent sized heroin dealer. Mm. So there, it was just a way to get him to get me to get the other guy. Uh, and I wouldn't play the game that they wanted me to play. And, um, and so I went to jail, long story short. And I spent a couple wow, months so in jail awful. while I was pregnant, uh, which was a horrible, horrible time. I'd never been to jail. You know, like if you're going to like jail really sucks. But my first time I was pregnant, I was on methadone. You well, know, it was. Um, God, it was a mess. Sounds horrific. Everybody at the jail hated me because they had to give me the methadone in the jail. Yeah, because so you were pregnant. Yeah, yeah. so they'd lock down the entire women's unit. And they'd all just, like, watch out their cell windows as I take this, like, long, like, uh, walking the plank, like, all yeah, the way right? down the tier wow. and the stairs and across the things. They can all watch me take my methadone, and they're all just, like, hate in their eyes, you know? I don't blame Jeez. them. Yep. Half of them are going to be toxic cold turkey in there, you know? But, um, hmm. yeah, it looked like I was going to do two years in prison. That's what the assistant attorney general really wanted because I think because I wouldn't play – their game you know yeah. they wouldn't set up this other guy they really were mad about that um and then i got like a last minute um reprieve an organization called Maine pretrial services stepped in and evaluated me and discer- determined i wasn't a flight risk and they let me out on a special kind of super highly supervised bail contract and that cool. was that's, like that's a saving good. grace Plus, yeah. yeah yeah they don't do that down here um this was up in maine and it was an incredibly huge gift for me i got to have my daughter in the hospital she spent a week in nicu and another six and a half weeks on the pediatric ward um being weaned off of methadone and it was um my incredible gift that i was given that i got to be there with her and um you know i lived in the little hospital room with her um meanwhile I had the felony charge to face, and uh, my parents had the money to get a lawyer, and he fought really hard for me to do drug court, which had just started in Portland the same year, Um, and they let me into drug court, so it was just a tough time. I... I, um, they made me get off a methadone in a very short period of time, like eight weeks they gave me, and I'd been on it what, for like two years. What were you up to? Wow. What was you doing? I was only on 55 milligrams, yeah. but for me, that was right. plenty. Um, uh, and it, people oh, coming off of it. 180 milligrams, 200 milligrams. Yeah, my husband was on like 200 and something at the time. Yeah. Wow. I was, you know, 
whatever. I'm not here to, to disrespect methadone clinics because methadone saved my life. Mm, um, right. um, and, and it's an ne- absolutely necessary form of treatment. But the, you know, at that time, the culture that was that I was a part of at the methadone clinic because they just wanted you to keep going up, and I kept refusing to go up. So I ended yeah. up staying on a very low dose, and he and he chose to keep going. They up. did that with me too. I went through yeah. the same thing. I stayed. I think I don't even think I got above thirty five, mm. to be honest. But the woman I was with at the time was going up and up and up yeah. and up and and. Back then, like they made you get prescriptions as well. Well, understand that I. I it was uh, crazy. I've had a look into the owners and the of habit management and how they lived, and yeah, it's a business and it makes a absolutely. lot. Oh, absolutely. Money. The clinic that I was going to at the time got shut down by the feds. There was like a big raid. It was all over the news, and because the owner was shady and whatever. <laughs> You know, it's unfortunate that it's a for-profit business because it's a really necessary option for yeah, treatment. Yeah, if, it, if it's used properly, it I, you know, I have profit. no qualms yeah. against it if yeah. if people use it the way it's supposed yeah, to. It but it's very easily clean. abused. Yeah. You know? Well, I think it's not only is it abused by the addicts themselves, it's probably abused by the system. Oh, absolutely. It's pushed for, on them. For profit. Yeah. You shouldn't be going up. You should be going down. You should be at a uh, – I mean, I don't know. You know, I'm just talking Listen, there's, no, there's no money – in curing anything, right? That's There's right. Money in treating it. That's right. You know, that's the whole healthcare of the United States. Not to go off on a different tangent, but I heard that um, that uh, you know we're gonna if we don't change, we're gonna bankrupt ourselves on healthcare mm. in this country. Yeah, it shouldn't be so. for profit. It shouldn't be privatized. But that's a whole other uh, podcast. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway. Don't get me started on the state of treatment for substance use disorder in this country because we'll never, you'll never shut me up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that you know, I did drug court. It was hell. I had an infant who was you know going through her own process of getting used to life without methadone. I was um, super sick and getting used to life without methadone, and it just sucked. Uh, It took me 18 months to graduate, and I kind of, you know, we kind of had put together a fairly normal-ish life. Mm. Um, Long story short, you know, I got all the stuff. I had a really good job. We had a, you know, we each had a car. We had a decent apartment. Everything was, like, okay, even though we were still crazy. Was he still on the clinic at this point? Yeah. 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 Mm. And choosing to drink and smoke pot. Um, Mm. And... um, and I probably would have been, too, if, if I wasn't forced off it by the legal system. So. Right, right. I had no idea about recovery when I was on methadone. Yeah. No, nothing. Didn't know anything yeah. about it. I was... Oh, yeah. I just was still crazy. Mm. I hadn't done the work. I signed my own AA and NA sheet, meaningless, you know, like that I had to turn into right. drug court yeah. every week. I was just like, make up signatures and, yeah. you know, because oh, I yeah. wasn't ready. That. I wasn't having it. Um, and so my husband picked up cocaine... Um, when my daughter was four, and I went down with him, and we went down fast. In six months, I'd lost um, my job, my home, um, almost all of my possessions. He got deported for domestic violence assault because we physically fought over drugs, Mm. um, and the neighbors called the cops, and he got a domestic violence charge, and then they figured out he was illegal. So he got deported and banned, and I lost custody of my daughter. and went on the street and did the whole, like, you know, being a person addicted to crack in the alley. Oh, I yeah. was that person. Mm. 
yep. at the at the shelter and at the jail and in the alley with no clothes, you know, nothing but what I had on and just bad, bad, bad time. Um, when and I lost my it, daughter, I kind of like lost all my bearings. This is in Maine. Yeah. Right. So yeah, you, this is important. Not only do you have to deal with that, but you have to deal with weather. In oh, England. deep winter, man. Being uh, homeless in the winter in Portland uh, or yeah. anywhere in Maine, it's, it yeah. was bad. Yeah. It was bad. My, I, I had a friend who, if I hadn't come back to the place we had been smoking, when I did, he would be dead because he had done a bunch of um, benzos. And I, when I came back to, to see what he was up to, whatever, he was laying outside in a snowbank and he was totally blue, um, freezing cold and <sighs> completely unable to like get him to wake up or anything yeah. mm. um so i i mean i believe he would have died if i hadn't come back at that time oh yeah um, i'm sure when you when you lost your daughter do you think that the that the um what were the what was it uh that was most affected by was it do you think it was a self-esteem self-respect identity like what made me so lost after yeah that? yeah yeah, it was just an epic failure at everything, and to mm. to let down the one person that depended on me the most. Um, mm. Yeah, she was right. the one innocent in all of it, and uh, and that just broke me to to know that I would do that. Yeah. Um. To to have to reckon with the fact that I made that choice, you know, that was. That was those, that was bad times. Yep. I hated myself for that. Right. Um, and that just fuels it even more. Oh yeah, I it's couldn't stand it's myself. So you I gotta, just had yeah. to be high all the time. You got to numb it so I couldn't much. handle the feelings. Yeah. Right. That was just really that was the lowest of the low. Um, and then I landed in a town I'd never been to with nothing. Uh, went to the homeless shelter because that's my only option. Kind of started to get it together a little bit. Um, Long story short, my dad was dying of cancer. I was kind of doing okay, but it was kind of starting to slip. And uh, my dad, my dad had a uh, remission regression with his cancer, and he died. And I just lost it. Um, I couldn't handle that at all. And I and I and I got this amazing connection for cocaine. So I would like we had this massive like kingpin <laughs> cocaine empire going in like a heartbeat. <laughs> like oh. I didn't mean to. I just was trying to get some free coke, you know. Yeah. Mm. Um, From homeless to yeah, balling. Balling. I was. You know that song. <laughs> Wanna be a baller. Yeah. Shot collar, twenty inch blades, only Impala. Yeah. yeah, that was my that was like my theme song. <laughs> nice. Uh, in but, Maine, uh, but the in, in, in Bangor, Maine, Maine baby, I was yeah. pulling down the cocaine train. Yeah, in Bangor, Maine. Nice. Yes. So small. Somebody had to do it. <laughs> it's yep. true. Everybody wanted my my stuff, you know. Um, but I very quickly became the the my my I had a boyfriend at this time and he and I were the 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 DEA had a wall at the police station with pictures of all their most wanted people on it and they called it the wall of assholes and my my picture and my boyfriend's picture were at the top so we were like the king and queen so assholes at the wall sweet. yeah yeah things to aspire to yeah know. absolutely yeah <laughs> um, well. it's a little different from the career path that I had planned but right it right I mean. Graduating high school in three years, going on to college, and now you're on the <laughs> wall of Europe assholes then, yeah. <laughs> in May in Bangor, yeah, in Maine. Bangor, Maine. <laughs> like, it's not even like a cool place, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. But that was 
that was hell. That was a living hell. And I and I and I was trying mm. to convince myself that I was just having the time of my life and yeah. I wanted to die. It was awful. Um, right. Burnt and up for 10 days at a time and completely insane. Yep. Psychosis. Oh, like, my yeah. gosh. Just like. And, no and, idea and, what's going on. What's reality? Yeah. What's a dream? Yep. Like, and just shooting coke uh, so that I would come oh. so that I would almost die but not quite die. Over and over and over, like every 20, like just real deep, deep, deep sickness. Um, mm. I'm getting yeah. nauseous thinking about that. That's just, I did that one. I don't mean to like, go there, but like, that's the reality. No, I, that's, I understand, that's though. I identify real. with that. Yeah, that. It's, it's really so disgusting. Yeah. It's, it's, it's horrible. Hell on earth. And, and, you know, we think it's like a dream come true as an, as an active addict, you know, and, it's, and it wasn't. It was hell. It was absolutely pure hell. And mm. there was a part of me that was relieved when I got busted. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, we can relate to that. That's yeah. for sure. Absolutely. Ugh. Um, so yeah, so I went to jail again. Um, long story short, they let me go after a couple months to go to treatment. I lasted two months in treatment, and then I uh, got caught with stupid stuff in my room, and I got sent back to jail. And I did another oh. about a month and a half, and I said that I really wanted to go to treatment. I don't want to go to prison. And my, I had a public defender at the time, and he laughed at me when I said to him, I want to ask the judge if I can go to this long-term faith-based program. And he's, like, laughing, like, that's the most absurd thing I've ever heard. You've, like, had all these chances, and you have this long criminal record and all this. Mm. And this I, is your lawyer. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And I said, I don't care. Like, this is what I think I'm supposed to do. Because this was the time when I started to kind of get that spirituality piece. Like, I knew that that was the missing thing. I'd been to dozens of detoxes and rehabs and halfway houses and Hmm. um, methadone and suboxone. And, like, I had tried everything, 12-step fellowship, the whole nine yards. And I knew that the piece that I didn't have was a way to fill the hole. Mm. And I knew that that was a higher power. And I just didn't know how to get one. But... I knew this faith-based program. That's what I really wanted to do. And I just felt like this is what I'm supposed to do. So my lawyer wouldn't represent me. So I'm not going to go in the courtroom with you to do that. So I went by myself, begged the judge, and he let me go to the program. Wow. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. And that's when I was like, okay, maybe there's somebody who's like looking out for me. Right. <laughs> you know, that <laughs> nice. was yep. that little piece of evidence that, that helped me start to – Turn the corner, hmm. and I did that long program, and it was wicked hard. And um, but it changed me. It changed me for the better, and I got some decent recovery. And uh, then a boyfriend picked up again. I picked up again. Um, so relationship problems as well as yeah, addiction. It's always the boyfriend's hmm. fault. Mm, just yeah. saying. Yep. Yep. Oh, I get it. I get it. Uh, it's always the other guy's fault. Yep. Um, but you know, I you know it's. It, relationships have taken me down over and over and over um so so it just this is a really weird period i i I moved back down here i wanted to get custody of my daughter back my mom had had her for five years and i had been doing yeah i got very very fortunate that that she stayed with family um So there was this weird interim period where we still had a place in Bangor and we had a place down here on the South Shore and we were going back and forth. And so I would be down here. We had a, our, our own uh, business doing, you know, carpentry, roofing, masonry, that kind of thing. And um, and then we'd go back to Maine for like a weekend and binge. And then we'd come back and like be cool. And then, you know, <laughs> so um, that went on for about a year until 
Christmas, uh, we went up to Maine. I dropped my daughter off at her former foster family's house for Christmas because that's she was still close with them, and um, and I went and I went on a three day binge. And when I picked her up, she was ten at this time. She jumped in the car, and I was all burnt and miserable, and you know, just feeling awful. And she was just like, "Hi, mom," mm. and I just like. Something broke inside of me, and that was uh, that's the last time I used. Yeah. So was... it's 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 funny you went through that hell um, that was only personal, but it took that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's still pretty, still had all the material really, stuff. Yeah, really you know, exactly. telling those the. I think the emotional bottoms are the worst. Mm. Oh you know, yeah. Like, yeah. Whatever. I've lost everything a million times. You know, right. yeah, but the inside because I had gotten yeah. a taste of what recovery was about when I was in that program. Like I had gotten some of the the, the inside stuff back, and um, yeah. mm. and I was you know scared, lonely, miserable, hating myself, and all that. And um, so I looked up a, a women's meeting and uh, went there and told the truth, and uh, and everything changed from that point forward. I started doing the work, taking the suggestions, um, practicing spirituality on a daily basis. Uh, I got custody of my daughter back. Um, so Oof. my life is, you know, Beautiful. completely different. But I did it in degrees. You know, I kept the boyfriend, the the uh, very unhealthy relationship. He still used for another two years after I got clean. Wow. And I, and I let him stay. And, um, yeah, you know, I had to go through a lot of pain to grow to a point where I could let him go. Uh, and I'm grateful that I, I did that. Um, yeah, because we don't change nothing until there's enough pain involved. Yeah, right. Yeah, know? and that right. was a big that was a big piece for me. I've been single two and a half years, and I figured, you know, like, oh, I'm just gonna like find a new one, and uh, that's not what what my higher powers plan was for me. And I'm was right. in the midst of step work. I was on a sixth step when that happened, and um, just my path uh, that was perfect timing for me. And I just had to do some inside work, and I am. I could not be happier being single. Yeah, because <laughs> you're you're I never do. gonna be happy with anyone else until you're happy yeah. with you. This is like, like the best time ever. What, I'm like what a middle aged lady. I know. Like wow, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm getting good with me, and I'm getting good with my higher power. Like I'm on. I have just a couple questions left on my twelfth step, and I and I have to say for me. Um, in the fellowship that I do, and it's a very long process laid out in a book with tons and tons and tons of questions, mm. and uh, mm. it's taken me six years. And uh, and I'll tell whatever. you that those yeah, when works. I get those That's last right. couple of questions, that, that will be the most badass thing I've ever done in my entire life, and I've done a lot of badass stuff right. to finish the 12 steps, you know what I mean, to really honestly and earnestly and, do that process. And that adds to your the, what, the way you think of yourself. You... Um, have accomplished this and you feel better. There's a quote that just made me think uh, of your story. just made me think of the, uh, I forget who it's from, but uh, it's, we are what we repeatedly do. Mm. So you hated yourself because of the things that you were repeatedly mm. doing. You know what I mean? Right. And now you, at that point, something made you realize that you need to do other things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? So you can be someone that you love. Mm. That's that's the educational variety right there. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, that's the spiritual experience. Spiritual experience of the educational variety. Oh, yeah. 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 
You know, yeah. people always say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. But my right. definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, knowing that what the result will right. be, right. and that I don't doing like the results. Anyway, and doing it, anyway. doing it anyways, <laughs> and then hating exactly yourself for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, why did I sign I'm up? So, again? I'm yeah. so attached to the suffering. Let me yes. just keep doing it yeah. over and over. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I hate it. I'm going to do it again. Yeah. I've had to let go of chaos. I've had to let go of pain. I've had to let go of you know so many things but now you have all that experience yes to share yes. with others oh my gosh yes. i have the coolest life and i get to give it away in such cool ways that i am blown away on a regular basis by what um my path is it's just crazy it's just yeah, been right? amazing yeah awesome and I and I joke around to people, you know, I'm a recovery coach, and I I joke around that like if you name a social ill or like a, a an issue that's attached to you know commonly found alongside substance use disorder, I've had it, man. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Like yep. you can't name much that hasn't happened to me or that I haven't done, you know. So uh, that makes me a better coach. That's a good segue into explaining what the uh, the coach is. The coach what a recovery is. coach yeah. is. So there are, you know, different sort of degrees and roles that recovery coaches play. But um, in a nutshell, a recovery coach is somebody who just helps another person figure out what they're what they want their pathway to be, like what the what their goals are, what what does recovery look like to that person, mm. and then help them lay out a plan to do that and help them get past the obstacles. So, you know, a problem solver, goal setter, definitely cheerleader, encourager. Uh, we give hope because we've been through it before. Um, right. Well, I think that's always key. That's got to yeah. be key, right? And it's, yeah. it's definitely evolved from the first time I ever heard the term. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Which was... Which was a few years ago, and mm -hmm. the person I heard it from, they were basically babysitting a drug addict. Yeah. And, and they were getting paid large sums of money to do it. And I was like, wow, really? Yeah. That seems cool, but that's not what it is today. No, that's by sober any companion. Means. That's yes, more like yes, a sober companion. Yes. Yeah. So coaching mistake, has yes. really, really grown and changed a lot. Um, you know, and there's many different models. And so, for instance, um, in one of my jobs, um, you know, they started doing it in 2012, and it's very – it's through a treatment organization, and it's very – like, we're pretty highly trained, and we work with other <clears> providers. Um, you know, we're – I always think of myself as, like, the hub of a wheel, um, and I'm sort of just at the center holding the spokes, like, yep. being a central – place for all the different spokes and the spokes can be 12-step fellowship family support we work really closely with the family members um you know your counselor your therapist your psych prescriber your doctor um you know your your clo couple close friends like whatever it is um that keeps you healthy and well right um i'm just there kind of being a conduit and a um a gatekeeper and a um you know, just sort of keep things – accountability is a huge part of what we do as coaches. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's – You know, you set a goal about, and you're yeah. gonna, you tell me I'm going to do these three <laughs> – take these three small steps this week. I am going to ask you on Friday if you took those steps. Yeah, right. And if you didn't, what went wrong? You know, what, what wasn't there for you? I always talk about regressions, you know, um, when somebody picks back up after a period of, of recovery um, – to me, I always say, well, what supports did you not have in place or what ones didn't you use instead of, 
oh, how'd you make such a bad decision? Or, you know. Yeah, right. Right. Um, it's about the supports in place and using those supports. So Now, yeah. do you do you get those phone calls in, from the hospitals or is so you... no um i so the er yeah because um, i know some people that coaches, do that yeah. yeah that's a really excellent program I, the treatment organization that i work for one of the ones i work for has that in place yeah. in yeah. some of the hospitals and that that franny is really was doing good that, right we yeah. had franny on here he mm-hmm. was the uh the, the hospital guy he would go in there yeah. and talk to the people so that's like, like a, get away from me <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a t- it's a tough role and yeah. so that's like an acute um, and, and that's why, you know, now there's so many different ways that we're using coaching, which is awesome. So the ER mm. coaches are uh, dealing with crisis. They're dealing with an acute situation yep. where their role is just to try to get the person interested in change and in, in doing something about yep. their substance. And this person disorder. has usually recently overdosed. Right. Yeah, or and, had an, a car accident because yep. they were drunk yep. or, you know. You yeah. might be that hand that they see that, that – uh, mm-hmm. That helps them from yes. di- stop from dying. Yep, and you know, you yeah. never know. Yeah. So it's now we we started guess, huh? doing this with adolescents, right? Because um, my belief is that if we can address this earlier on, we can yeah. spare some of the jails, institutions, and almost death. Um, right. You know, we don't have to go all the way. I mean, I was thirty eight when I got recovery hmm. uh and i went through hell the whole entire time yeah and you know and i was definitely addicted at 16 and um you know i think i of, think education should start far earlier mm-hmm. than it did mm-hmm. like i rem, you know i don't think there was anything talked about in junior high mine anyways what are you talking and it was like about until i got high school nancy reagan told you yeah <laughs> <laughs> just say no prevention looks really different now yes. which is good which yeah. is good which is another cool thing that i get to do which is improbable players and we do it's all uh all the actors are in long-term recovery we go into middle school and high school we put on a play that's about the disease of addiction one of them is like it's a family and the mom's an alcoholic and the dad's an enabler and the son is like becoming an addict and um, so we do the show mm. and then, which is very real. I mean, there's mm. arguments and it's just, it's very real. Wow. And then, uh, the four of us do a one minute version of our own story. And then we sit on the stage and we do a Q and a where the kids can ask us any question under the sun. And we get all kinds of like, how did you, um, do cocaine? Have you ever overdosed? Do you shoot up? Um, why did you start? Uh, yeah. didn't anybody tell you to stop? What did your parents think of just everything is on the table? Yeah. We'll talk about anything they want to know, and um, it's incredibly powerful. Right. Uh, and it's called what? Im- improbable players. Improbable because players. Because it's improbable that we would be clean and able to, to, able put to do on a that. show yeah. because, of, right. because of our addiction. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I like so, it. Yeah. And so now we're starting this alternative peer group. Uh, it's in Hyannis at the Peer Recovery Center. And it's for, you know, teens that have um, some involvement with substance use. Some of them might have just gotten out of detox. Some of them might just be got caught smoking pot and can't stop. You yeah. know, like what doesn't matter where on the spectrum they are. Um, so it's me and uh, um, LICSW. She does the clinical side and I do the peer group. So we meet three times a week and it's just we just create um, a fun, positive, healthy place for the for them to go. Where they can learn how to support each other. They can learn a little bit about recovery. And most of all, they learn how to have fun without drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Um, Because I think that's a great myth that we have that we keep uh, recreating in both in the media 
and also at home um, because alcohol is just so deeply entrenched in all adult activities right. that our kids just assume that that's – if you want to have fun with other adults, you drink alcohol. Well, I know? think that, you know, that's – and I always say this. I sound like a broken record, but – when you're at the age, the magical age of 13, 12, you know, 11, 13, 14, you're choosing your path. You're choosing your identity, which is what I always talk about. Anyway, and that's that can be part. Are you going to be the person who does that? Mm. Am I going to be the person who, who, you know, gets attention because, oh, he's crazy or she's crazy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or am I going to be the person who, who um, you know, who, you know, who models after – the guy who likes his beers, you know what I mean? Whatever it is, you're choosing that path. Mm. And when you don't see where that path can go for some people, it's just, it's it's very tempting, mm. especially when you're yep. so uncomfortable. You want to fit in or not even fit in necessarily, but you want to be respected and you want to be... Just have an identity. You want an identity yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's, that's... That people see and recognize. And right. Yeah, you want to be noticed. Yes. <laughs> that's it. We want to be noticed. We want to noticed. get acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. Whether it's... Yep. It, it, even if it's shitty, you know, yeah. right. like oh, yeah. for, for being the kid that sells everybody weed at school. Or, yep. or, I always wanted to be the most badass. So, yeah. you know, like badass, I, got, yep. I got my first criminal charge, criminal conviction when I was 18. And I was so proud of that. You know what I mean? Like it's so oh, yeah. backwards. But it was like, yeah. okay, I'm not succeeding at being successful. <laughs> so I'm going to make a mark of myself or make myself noteworthy by being the noteworthy. one who's been to jail the one. most yeah. times or yes. the one who can drink the most or the one who's blacked out the most or whatever the stupid standards were. for. Yeah. So when know. someone says your right. name, boom, people yeah. already know. They're like, oh, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah, that one. Oh, right, right. trouble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, wow. Yeah, and so now the other cool thing I get there's so many cool things that I get to do and I and um I just like to share them because it's it's like you never know when you go from a jail cell or a detox or just being like in the homeless shelter on the street or whatever, you never imagine right. that it can be that good. Right. The yeah. life the life so that you've good. lived. The life that you've lived. Yeah. You can't even fathom They're not the path to get to what you get to do now. Yeah. Like, right. how, how did I get here? Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. I got a degree in theater education in 1995. And by the time I graduated, I was fully addicted to heroin. I had to do heroin on my way to my graduation. Walked away. Uh. Collected a felony, so I can never mm. teach because you know teaching was what that yeah. degree was supposed to be for. So I'll never ever be a teacher. Um, oh. And now. 20, how many years is it later? 23 years later? It's exactly what I'm doing. I'm doing theater in schools for prevention work as part of an education program. And uh, now I'm teaching people to how to do moth-style personal storytelling, um, which is performing arts as well. Right. Um, so that's just, you know, the, the moth is a very popular storytelling um, program. And, and as you were saying earlier, storytelling is a craft and an, and an art form. And what I've done um, is just put two things that I love together, which is the the, yeah. the craft of storytelling and recovery. So I, I lead workshops that teach 
people who are affected by addiction and recovery how to do moth style storytelling but with positive recovery messaging Ugh. sort of involved and you know and yeah this, that is fantastic it's so say, cool I, I we just it. had a big showcase at independence academy in brockton which is the yep. recovery high school in brockton yep. and some of the kids did it and uh, a bunch of the graduates of of the to the series of workshops performed and it was recovery high school yeah they got enough kids in recovery they can have oh there's high several high oh, schools yeah. There's, really there's yeah Austin the guy high was uh, five of them i think was one of the first mm-hmm. wow yeah, yeah. In Brockton, dude, a recovery high school? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Why not? Yeah, I mean, it sounds good. It's yeah. a beautiful wow. place. You should see the artwork and, and the and, music and, and the, the thing is, amazing work. The thing is, they don't get a recovery high school diploma. They get one from their high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just a oh. they, they oh, so it's an a, actual it's, diploma. It's a pretty from, small, small uh, yeah. group of people. Yep. Right now they have 36 students, I think, in Brockton. 36, that's great. Wow, that yeah, when I was there, there was like seven. Eight. Yeah. eight. That when I first ass, started huh? going there, yeah. three years ago. They have meetings in the middle of the day. Wow. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's really amazing. cool. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. So I'm going to do a set of workshops doing storytelling, teaching those kids storytelling. Because the, the, the beauty of storytelling, I'll just say, like, I did a ton of public speaking around recovery and criminal justice reform, and it was really empowering and it was great. But um, with storytelling, it's like I get to be fully human. It's not just about addiction and incarceration and all of that. It's yeah. just like telling mm. stories about all different kinds of things. And it's, it's right. a way to like express more about myself than just that I'm an addict and a felon. Cause I lived in the addict felon box for 20 years. Yeah. And we're oh, so yeah. much more than that. My way out. Right, yeah. And right, so the storytelling right, right. gives people an opportunity to just be human. I got to check this out. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> you can, yeah, you can find out more, uh, South Shore peer recovery which is the recovery center in Situate. Um, oh, yeah. We'll be sponsoring the next round of workshops. Uh, so you can look for information on it or you can just go on my website to find out more. Um, and what is that? It's www.meganperry.com. Oh, wow. awesome. Cool. Ooh, it's so boss, right? <laughs> it's really not that boss. I paid somebody to, to put it together for me. Nice. Um, oh, it's, yeah. but it's just... Uh, but it's just a great, an easy way to find out, you know, if you want to check out the recovery storytelling or whatever. I don't, you know, gain anything financially from doing it. It's just um, the rewards are just seeing people, like, step into being proud of their recovery and step into being creative and step yeah. into using their it's voice. Been... It's really powerful stuff. Cool. Like, the stories that we have can help so many people. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. For so long, it's been... No, you can't talk about that. Mm-hmm. Right. No. Keep it hush. Keep yeah. it under, underground. Like we had, we had to go into these rooms, this box that yeah. we're put in. Yeah. Right. You know? And be anonymous. And be, yes. Be anonymous. That's right. It's, which is, which works. Yes. For absolutely. a certain reason, it, it's, it's good to be anonymous because some people want to go and they don't, they want to just check it out. And they don't want to be asked their full name. They don't want to write anything down on a piece of paper. They don't, you know, because they're using and they're ashamed and they don't want anybody right. to know. And okay, this is an anonymous program. I'm going to go in here. Nobody's going to bother me in my real life. I can go in there and just check it out real Absolutely. quick. Absolutely. Which is important. And I think that's what it probably what it was designed around, you know? And it still works. And it works like Amazingly. a mall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. It's <laughs> like I've, I've However, met people that, you know, Please don't tell my husband how you know me. Mm. Right. Okay, like anonymity. That's I, you know, but <laughs> wow. for myself, yeah. Per, yeah. For myself personally, I don't care who knows. 
Oh, know? yeah. No, I've told my story thing, to people. You know. I've told my story to people, and they're looking at me like, what? Like we mm-hmm. we spoke earlier. Mm-hmm. Like you, you're, you're doing storytelling at uh, open mic, and there's normal people in the audience, mm-hmm. and you're talking about what you did, and they're like, what did she just say? She what? She's <laughs> like, what? Where? What? Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I it's told crazy. the story of the Queen and King asshole in front of 1,200 people at the Cutler Majestic Theater in, in uh, Boston, which is my alma mater theater. I did theater at that theater as a you know 20-year-old college student. And to be able to get up on that stage and perform in front of 1,200 people and like come full circle yeah, um, and intense. just tell my truth. Right to to anybody who's listening and uh, and do that without shame is just an incredible experience and it's a beautiful um, thing and right. I want to give it away freeing mm, I want to give it very away very freeing yeah it's pretty cool that's awesome yeah. all right well we did almost an hour see I told you yeah it it's so easy going, but yeah <laughs> so again it's www.meganperry.com links to all the stuff that we've spoken stuff. about. Cool stuff, yeah. If you, if you you know if you're on the Cape and you you've got adolescents that are struggling, um, Duffy Health Center is the sort of parent organization there to get in touch with. Cape Cod. Yep. 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 Hopefully, what we're hoping is we have a big grant for that to 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 be a year on the Cape. And what I want is to have it in Brockton to support the kids um, at Independence Academy and, and on the South Shore. Yeah. So the hope is that it's successful on the Cape. That can keep itself going, and then we'll come up and, and start them in other places because it's uh, desperately needed. Yeah. The teens nice. need support. They just don't have anywhere to go where, reco- where it's pro-recovery. They're right. too young to be in you know much of the 12 step in the the recovery centers and stuff. That's all you know. Yeah. So yep. they don't belong right. there. Um, they need their own space. So. Right. Awesome. Makes sense. Yeah. All right. So uh, that was fantastic. Yeah. What a good one. Yeah. Right. I want to give a quick shout out to Skip because he's the one that oh, set Skip. this up. Oh, yes. Skip. Yeah. Skip. 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 From the same boring old hometown that produced many, many a good alcoholic and addict. <laughs> yeah. <right? laughs> good old Irish uh, Catholic. Uh, uh, the Irish yep. Riviera. Yep. Guilty and thirsty. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, so we're going to ask you guys to support us on iTunes and Google Play, and uh, our website is lolterms.com. Yes. And that was another great one, and uh, thank you all very much. Thank you, Megan. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. My pleasure. And we are out. Peace. Peace. I live in this world full of anger and